Well, good morning. Let's not seem so excited. It's not snowing in here, okay? Yet. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if y'all are aware of this, but today is a big day. Are you aware of that? It's Sunday. Did you read my notes? Because that's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> I wrote, there's something big. I'm going to read this to you just so you actually get that I did have that. I'm not sure if you know it, but today's kind of a big day. It's Sunday, literally, in my notes. Jeanette's been reading my notes. I forgot how she hacked into my computer. No, it is. It's a big day. It's Sunday. And, and I know some of you are thinking, well, no, there's something else going on today. And you're right. The Puppy Bowl is at 2 o'clock today. Team Fluff versus Team Rough. Legitimately, you can look it up. Those are the team's names. Those are the two teams playing today, Team Rough and Team Fluff. Do you know that you can actually go online and bet who's going to win the Puppy Bowl? Like, legitimately, you could go online and bet who's going to win the Puppy Bowl. But there's another game today. The one that you're probably getting snacks ready for and, and going to figure out how you're going to sit around the TV and, and you're probably more concerned about the commercials than you are the actual ball game, right? But today is Super Bowl Sunday where you have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers squaring off for the Lombardi Trophy. That's the Lombardi Trophy if you don't know what that is. I was a uh, looking at that this week and trying to figure it all out, and Caleb came behind me, and he said, Daddy, what's that? I said, that's the, the, the trophy, the Lombardi trophy. He said, uh, it looks like the one they give away at the Super Bowl. Same thing, son. The reality is, though, today, the, this game that's going to take place is, is probably the most underhyped Super Bowl of all time because COVID. You think about it, COVID has shut down the, the, the whole idea of going to ball games and, and shouting and celebrating uh, teams playing. In fact, I believe the, the cap is 25,000 people will be there today. 25,000 people, and of the 25,000 people, I believe 22,000 of them are people who are in the medical field who got free tickets. So, praise God they got that free gift, but I'm going, you know, sign me up. I'll... I'll put a band-aid on somebody. Sign me up. <laughs> but that's reality, though. This game's happening today, and, and it's really the, the Super Bowl is the, the spectacle, spectacle of all sports. It has the best commercials and usually the worst halftime shows. Right? The reality is that this game's playing today, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm not a fan of this guy, but he is probably the most talked about player that's going to be on the field tonight, Tom Brady. He's considered by most, whether you like it or not, to be the GOAT. Okay. Now, for those of you that aren't up on modern lingo, GOAT, greatest of all time. Now, I would beg to differ. I don't think he's the greatest of all time. I have my opinions on that. Mine wears a star on the side of his helmet, but that's just how mine is. But he's considered the greatest of all time. He'll be playing in his record 10th Super Bowl. 10th Super Bowl. He's won six. He's looking for his seventh ring. He holds the record for most yards in the Super Bowl, most attempts, most touchdowns, most completions. And without a doubt, he is the most accomplished player in NFL history. He's worth 
$200 million. Just, I, I want to write a tithe check. But, but $200 million. I know, by the way, did I mention he's married to a model who's worth $400 million. He's got it all, right? By, by worldly and earthly standards, he has it all. You can't ask for any more than that in life. But I saw a video a few years ago where Tom was being interviewed, and, and in that video it came very clear to me that the one thing Tom needs most in life, he's missing. So we're going to watch that clip. It's about a minute and a half clip. I want to draw your attention to the screens for just a moment. Can you go out to restaurants? If I have the energy to deal with, you know, putting a happy face on, sometimes I don't feel like that. Now, you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football fame and not the other stuff. So in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right, it has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Um, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night being that. No way. You mean like alone or not alone? Right? What did you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being the quarterback for this team. And... But at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Can you imagine being at the top of your profession? Now, this was three Super Bowls ago, or four. <laughs> being at the top of his game, having all that the world could ever say he needs. And then he says this. He says, there's got to be more to life than this. Direct quote, <laughs> There's got to be more to life than this. He says he wishes he knew what more there was to life. And he's trying to find what's missing. And it's so ironic to me that in his blasphemous answer, he actually answers the question. He says, he says what, what do I need? He says it. It's God. He just comes out and says it now. I want to say... Um, Early in his career, Brady confessed to be a practicing Roman Catholic. If you were to ask him today, he says that he believes there's a lot of answers. I did some research finding out. He says there's a lot of answers. Can I tell you that Jesus tells us there is only one answer and that as he is the answer. And so as we dive into this today, we're going to have to understand that while it seems everything is together on the surface, what really matters is not the surface, but what's on the inside. And the Lord addresses that today in our time. Would you stand as we read the word together from John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. 
The word of the Lord reads this way. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Father God, today as we study your word together, Lord, as we understand how important and how vital it is to to have that one thing figured out, to know what it is that's, that's more than just a job or just money or just possessions or just a relationship with other people, God. The thing we need most in this world is you. Father, today would you lead us? Would your spirit guide us to a place where, Father, lives are changed, God, where, where souls are one to the kingdom? Oh, God, maybe it's just today somebody needs a refresher. God, I believe with all my heart that there are people within this body, people watching it online that need just to be reminded and maybe revived a little bit. So God, would you do a mighty work today through your word? And would you use this messenger? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Most famous... Scripture in the whole world, John 3.16. A verse that is translated into more languages than any other verse. And a verse that we probably were the first verse that you learned growing up. Unless you learned Jesus wept instead. But one of the first verses every child learns as we walk them through coming to know Christ is, is this John 3.16, that for God so loved the world. As we get into this passage today, I want us to start off with a little bit of backdrop of what's going on. I think sometimes we, we miss the message of what's happening before the verse. And what we have is Nicodemus has come at night to speak to Jesus. Uh, the, there's two things to really grasp off the beginning is that he came at night. So he knew that there was something wrong and something different, something missing in his life, but he didn't want to come where everybody else could see him. So many of us have been like that. There's, there's a sin or there's something wrong in our lives, and we'd rather do it in secret and handle things in secret so we don't have to confront our, fault, our faults and our failures and our, and our moments of shame. And here's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's part of the Sanhedrin. In fact, Jesus even calls him the teacher of Israel. He is a Jew of Jews. He's very similar to Paul. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is the man who leads all of Israel's spiritual growth. He would probably be a legend if you thought about it. But here he is missing something. He recognizes that he's missing something. He realizes it enough that he says, I'm going to do what no other members of the Pharisees will do. I'm going to go talk to Jesus. See, the Pharisees had a bad habit about talking about Jesus and not talking to Jesus. Hopefully that'll register in somebody's head and you'll hold on to that for later. 
They had a lot of talking about Jesus, but not talking to Jesus. See, it's crazy in our world today that so many people are hurting and broken and isolated and beaten up, and, and, they're, and they're just holding it together in front of everybody else. But when, when they're alone and when they're in the dark and when it's nighttime, they're crumbling. And See, can you imagine the anxiety that Nicodemus is going under right now? He's like, I am fixing to go talk to Jesus when everybody else, if they knew I was talking to Jesus, would destroy me. See, Nicodemus understood somewhere in his heart God was working and God was, was shifting and molding and making him. And he, he understood that if he wanted to get free of this hurt, if he wanted to be filled, if he wanted to no longer be broken and beat up, there was only one place to go. And that was to Jesus. Here he was, the teacher of all Israel, admitting he had questions. Admitting that he didn't have it all together. Ultimately admitting he needed something more. See, that's the hard part for us sometimes is just admitting that we need something more. Admitting that we need something more than the, our accomplishments. Admitting that we need something more than our daily lives. As we look at this passage today, we're going to see three things that just pop off at us immediately. And the first one is this, as Jesus begins to share, as he begins to tell him what's missing in his life, as he begins to tell him what need, he needs to fulfill, it's this right here. The number one thing is he starts in this verse, he's saying that we have eternal love. That we have an eternal love. See, those words are, are all that we long to hear, is it not? You long to hear someone say they love you. Whether it's it's a, a family member or, or whether it's a friend or way, maybe it's, a, it's that spouse or maybe it's that child. You, you're just dying to hear someone say they love you. And if you don't believe me, turn on the radio and listen to a Taylor Swift song. Oh, my goodness. Somebody get that girl a husband. I need love. Somebody love me like a sweater. Whatever. Those of you that heard the music know. But see, we all want to be loved. And that's just not out of Scripture. That's in your own lives. You can feel that. You can see that. Audrey Hepburn said it this way. She said, we all want to be loved, don't we? Everyone looks for a way of finding love. The problem is most people look for love and they never find it. Well, because in the words of Johnny Lee, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. The reality is that we can find love, we can find fulfillment and satisfaction in love only when it comes to love from God. Because all other love is temporary. Even the love between spouses. Guess what? When this world is over, I'm sorry, I, I know all the songs, all the great sappy love songs, but when your life is over and you enter into eternity and they enter into eternity, you know what? You're loving Jesus. You're not married in heaven anymore. You're loving Jesus. Now, I know you love them while they're gone from here, but when you enter into eternity, you're going to love the Lord. See, the thing is that God's love is eternal. It's never ceasing. It's completely overwhelming. God's love is eternal because God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or heaven was formed, and the earth and the world 
from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, that's how we can trust that God's love for you will never end. And I know people go, well, well what, if I, what if I sin so much that God will, will not love me anymore? Listen, God loves you despite your sin. We'll get into that in just a minute. But when Jesus utters these words, when he says, for God so loved, that word there where it says so loved, is not just that God loved you, but God intensely, intimately loved you. See, 1 John 4, 8, it just says it plain and simple. God is love. See, when we read that statement, though, like I said in English, so loved, it just sounds like it's missing something. It's missing the intensity. It's missing the passion that's behind this word that God loves us so deeply. Yeah, I want us to get that. That God's love for you is so deep. You remember that old song as a child, right? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's... Look, folks, you don't want me singing. So you want to... Oh, I got it backwards. Okay, we're good now. I've, now that I got the hand motions wrong, we'll just stop. But this reality is that, that God's love for us is so deep. It's so passionate. But how do we know that we're loved? How do we know that we're loved? I'm so glad you asked that question. First, this is, I'm just going to get you four things that we know how we're loved. The first one is this, that we know the depth of someone's love by what it costs them. We know the depth of someone's love for us by what it costs them. See, God sacrificed his son. He gave us only life, his only son. That's pretty costly. Maybe you remember the old old story about a, a husband and wife that were very poor and I'm sure there's a name to this story I just can't remember it at the moment they were very poor and the husband was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna buy my wife this comb for her hair she had this long beautiful hair I'm gonna I'm gonna buy her this this comb for for Christmas and he sells his prized possession to buy her this comb and then she walks by a store and sees this perfect thing for, oh, it should be perfect. It's a case for his instrument or something like that. It's so beautiful. Oh, he'll love it. So she cuts her hair off to pay for it. Can you just imagine when they, when they get there Christmas morning and they're opening gifts and the tears and the, and the pain and the agony of going, oh, no. Look, Jesus loved you enough to give everything everything for you it cost him everything that's how you know how deep his love is for you the second thing that you know about someone's love for you and how deep and how passionate it is is that the depth of someone's love is how little you deserve it how little you deserve to be loved. If, if we have treated him well all our lives and have done all that he's asked for us to, it, then he, he loves us, and that's, that's great. But think about the worst sinner, the worst offender. 
And the fact that he still loves me, though I don't deserve it. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For a while, one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would die. This is it right here, though. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. I want to say something that I hope it doesn't hurt your feelings, but I hope it registers in your heart. You do not, I do not, in any way deserve the love of God. I don't. Verse 8, though, is what gives us hope. That while we were sinners, while we were unworthy, while we were far off, while we were an enemy, while we were low, down, dirty, wretched, Christ died for us. I see there comes the hardest part, those admitting that. <laughs> you know, we can admit every now and then when we don't do things the right way or that maybe we should do things differently, but we have a real hard time just admitting and confessing, saying, I'm messed up. Because we want to put a mask on. I heard this quote uh, this week that said, it's funny how many people are upset about wearing masks in church because you've been wearing them your whole life. And that kicked me in the head. See, we've got to understand that if we want the love of God, then we've got to start with admitting we don't deserve the love of God. No matter how good we try, you're still going to make mistakes. And God's law says the only perfection is acceptance. No matter what your mama says, you're not perfect. Neither am I. Because Romans 3.23 just puts it to us pretty plainly. It says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That's from the pastor all the way to the back pew. We've all fallen short. This means we've broken God's laws, and not only have we broken them, let's be honest, not only have you broken God's laws, at times you've demolished God's law. At times you have willingly gone against God's plan. And it is important for us to understand that in our rebellious nature, we have disappointed what God's desire for us. So when we try to understand the depth of God's love, we have to understand that we are so undeserving. But not only do we see that, is that third, you have to understand the depths of someone's love by the benefits that you receive from their love. What are the benefits you receive from love? Think about it for a moment. Think about the benefits you receive from the love of a, of a parent or the love of a child or the love of your spouse. Think about the benefits you get that way. Think about the, the, the warm kid snuggles that you get. Or the ones that sometimes they snuggle too much and you're burning up from it. The reality is this, is that the love, the depth of love is based on the benefits you get. And can I tell you, the benefits of being loved by God far outnumber any of any other relationship you'll ever have. 
See, we have to remember that we were held in captivity by the enemy and set free by God. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, lavished. Do you, you know what that word lavished means? I'm so glad you don't because I want to tell you. It's like when you're painting something. I'm a terrible painter. It's not my spiritual gift. We have people who do that in the church. I'm thankful for their spiritual gift of doing that. But it's like when you paint something and then you go, you know what? One coat's not going to do. Let's do two. And then you do two coats and you're like, it's covered, but I just want to do it again. Three. Four. And eventually you run out of all the paint. See, the idea of lavish is to coat something on so thick and so rich that it's not even necessary. See, that's the kind of love that God gives us. God gives us how much love we needed. He uses all the love that he needed. And then you know what? He's like, you know what? Let's just put some more on there. Uh, anybody lacking for love of God? Anybody? Just, just checking. Because he doesn't run out. He just keeps putting it on and putting it on and putting it on. And the reality is that he covers us in the amount of benefits you and I get from being loved by God. I haven't even talked about eternity yet, but folks, you've been loved right here on earth. The reality is that, that the falling in love with God doesn't just benefit for what happens in the next life. It benefits this life. You're not just rescued from hell, you're rescued from sin. You're rescued from the torture and the torment and the shame that comes with it. But the fourth thing, the fourth thing about knowing how deep someone's love for you is this. It's how freely they give it. It's how freely they give it. John 10 18, this is the words of Jesus himself. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The reality is, is, is it, it works a certain way in life, right? You pay insurance company all the time, praying you never have to use it, but when you do have to use it, they're supposed to pay you out, right? You go, well, I paid for it. Can I tell you, you can't pay to get God's love. He just freely offers it to you. He just lays his own life down. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay your life down for your friends. See, Jesus died for you knowing you would reject him. He gave his own life suffering shame and pain on the cross with a complete knowledge that there will be people in this world who will say no. That's love. That someone would give everything for you to you look at them and go, no. He freely offers his love to you. He loved you enough to die knowing the real you, not just the church you. Sadly, there's a difference sometimes, isn't there? Jesus died knowing who you are when nobody's looking. That's the kind of love he has for you. It's an eternal love. 
See, there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He just loves you with an uncontrollable and unfathomable love. See, that, that verse continues. He doesn't just stop. With, he doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just have Nicodemus and go, For God so loved, does he? For God so loved the world. See, what we go is we go from a, an eternal love to an open invitation. We have an open invitation to come to God. What's so beautiful about this, as, as he begins to lay this idea out, he doesn't just say that God loves a certain group of people. It's not just God so loves America. I think sometimes we live with that mentality, though, don't we? It's not just God so loved the Baptists. It's hidden in there. It's not just God so loved the Iowans and the Illinois. Yep, that one. That one's harder to say. The reality is that God so loved the world, and this was a wrecking ball for Nicodemus. Because the, the, the Hebrews believed that God so, only so loved the Jews. That they were God's chosen people. And here it is. He's just destroying his worldview. And he says, listen, God so loves everybody. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And just for the record, I was lost. You were lost. Maybe today you still are lost. See, this, this is a beautiful concept that God lays out before us, that God so loves every single person that has ever lived. And can I say, we have to recognize that's even the people we don't like. God so loved Adolf Hitler. God so loved Osama bin Laden. God so loves the enemy that you deal with every day, whatever he or she might be named. See, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus for each and every one of us. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. See, that's, that's the challenge for us today is to recognize that every single person is just as worthy of the invitation to come to God as you and I are. See, we have done a really poor job of closing the door of certain demographics saying, well, they're not allowed here. They're not welcome. These people can't come to know Christ. Can I tell you, anybody can come to Christ. Have you ever seen those car commercials? Uh, and and I, I, I always kind of get suckered in by them, and I want to confess that. Anybody can get a proof of credit, right? Anybody can buy a car here. Nobody turned away. Nobody denied. Y'all ever seen those, or is it just me? Okay, just checking. Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. I am crazy, but thank you. See, the reality is that we see those kind of things, but you always miss the fine print at the bottom. Right? Must have this much down, this much uh, credit, blah, 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 really tiny reading, and really tiny, really, really tiny, and they read it really fast at the end. And you go, 
Then you had to play it in reverse to actually hear what they said. See, that's sadly enough who we've become as the body of Christ. We've said, oh, anybody can come. Anybody can join and know Christ. And anybody can, can be a part of this family. And then the very bottom. But only if you believe this and agree with this and do this and that. Only if you're this skin color and this. Can we just admit for a moment that we've missed this open invitation? And I want you to hear me today. If you don't know Christ, I don't care where you're from or who you are or what you've done. The invitation is open to you today. There's no catch. There's no small print. There's no hidden fees. It's all laid out in Luke 9.23. And Jesus says this, if any woman would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When Jesus says anyone, the crowd would have looked at him and his disciples like they were nuts. See, when Jesus invites anyone to follow him, he doesn't just break down barriers to keep people from learning about God. He gets rid of the excuses. See, that's where we get st stuck in sometimes. Sometimes it's not the church that tells somebody they can't. Sometimes it's the own person that says, well, I'm just not good enough. See, at that point, the people who are following Jesus would have had no excuse to say, well, I just can't. I can't follow him. I, I, I just can't. Maybe right now in your world, you're saying, well, well, Pastor, you just don't know where I am in life. You don't know the struggles I face, the battles I'm fighting every day. I just can't follow Jesus. I want to go back and read that one more time. If anyone, he doesn't say that, that you can't be a high school dropout. Just, just reading this. He doesn't say that you, that, you, that you have to have your life together. He doesn't say that you can't be a single parent. It says anyone, right? Anyone. So my question for you today is if you're waiting, what's your excuse? Is it you're just too busy in the office? Is it you're too busy focusing on things that don't matter? Or your kids need your attention more than the Lord does? Maybe it's because you're having to work a second job. Or, or maybe it's because you've got a really bad past that you're not proud of. Or, or maybe you've got so much baggage that comes from addiction. And it comes from divorce and, and bankruptcy. And, and all these excuses that you've held on for a long time. Can I tell you, excuses fall flat. In front of the cross. See, Jesus gets rid of all of our excuses when he says anyone can come. He says you have a sexual past, anyone can come. You're an ex-con, anybody can come. Broken home, anyone. Oh, you're a legalist, anybody can come. Alcoholic, anyone. Pothead. You can come on. Addict. Anyone. Hypocrite. Anyone. See, now we need to be ready for what can happen, though, as a church, when we embrace that kind of mentality. What happens when you embrace that mentality that anybody can come to Jesus? There's a phrase I've heard since the moment I walked through the door. Messy people. Are we willing to be a messy church? 
We're willing to have messy lives in order to see people come to know Christ. Because if we're going to be a church after God's heart, can I just see that we're going to have to have an open invitation. Because here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He doesn't ask us to fix people. He does that. He says that he makes the new creations. We just have to be willing to open the doors. And you, you today who may be here listening and saying, I, I, I got something that's stopping me. Can I tell you, you need to be willing to open your heart to hear the invitation of the Lord. But not only do we have eternal love and an open invitation, the last thing that we see come out in this verse, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, what? Believes. See, it would be so much easier if it would just stopped at that open invitation. Hey, come on in to heaven. But there's one thing. As Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he says, there's one thing you got to do if you want this free gift. You just have to believe. See, the word Jesus uses here for belief, it is a verb. It's not just a thought. It's an active verb. And what he is saying here, he said, look, if you want eternal life, then you've got to have active faith. Jesus knew that Nicodemus would have to leave a religion of law. He'd have to leave uh, all of a sudden all this baggage he carried with him and just surrender to the rule of grace. Nicodemus would have to admit that he'd been self-righteous, living through his own power instead of trusting the power of God. See, Judaism had become all about laws, all about get do this, do that, do this, do that, do this. And then don't eat pork. Can we just admit for a moment that sometimes we've turned Christianity into the same thing? Oh, Christians can't do that. Christians can't do this. Why don't we just remember that it's about relationship? See, real belief is not passive. Real faith is trusting that God is faithful and true. That just like you believe that pew you're sitting in is going to hold you up, God's going to hold you up. God's going to secure you. He's going to provide for you. I want to give you a few verses to back up what genuine faith looks like. Ephesians 2.8, it says, It's for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. Constantly when Jesus would heal people in the Gospels, there was this phrase that would always pop up. He would heal them and then he would say things like, your faith has made you well. Or I've never seen faith like this in anyone else. See, real faith is not just saying, I believe, but it's putting your belief into practice to say to God, I know, I believe that no one else can do the things you can do. I believe no one else can heal me, not just physically, but spiritually like you can. I believe for too long people have tried to work to get Jesus. You work because of Jesus, not to get him. He's always standing arms wide open waiting for you to place 
your faith in him. Romans 5, 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Our video that we watched a minute ago with old Tom, he says there's got to be something more. There's got to be something deeper and better. Reality is, is that no matter how many Super Bowls you win, no matter how many dollars you put in your bank account, you're never going to have peace without Jesus. So how does it work? How do you inherit this eternal life? Well, first, you must be willing to confess that you're a sinner in need of saving. Secondly, you have to repent of your sin. Now see, this is confusing sometimes. People miss the word repent because they think the word repent just means to stop doing. But the literal understanding of the word repent is let's call this uh, stool here for a moment my sin. The literal idea of repent is not just to stop sitting on the stool, but it's to get up and go the other direction. To run away from my sin. And when you run from your sin, what do you run to? Jesus. See, while it's easy, it's difficult. Because we have to be willing to say, you know what? I need Jesus. So many folks are unwilling to make that move. Finally, the last step, after admitting you're a sinner... And repenting of your sin is just believing in Jesus. It's amazing to me that those three simple things are some of the things that people will allow to keep them out of eternity. Church, I want to tell you with all my heart, What I want to see is people come to know Jesus. What I fear is verses 17 and 18. That those who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus are condemned. Today, if you're in this building and maybe maybe today is the day you surrender your life to Jesus... Or maybe you're watching online. Guess what? You can get saved in your living room too. Because the invitation is not just open that it's anyone, but it's anywhere. And today is the day of salvation. Maybe again, church members, you're sitting here today and you're going, Well, pastor, I've got that figured out. I've given my life to Jesus and I'm ready to move forward with whatever it is that he has for me. But can I tell you what he has for you is for you to be a messenger of that gospel. He has that for you today. That you would share that message of Jesus everywhere you go. 
want to invite you today as we have a word of prayer and the worship team comes back up to lead us. I want to remind you that you need to do some business with the Lord today. Whether it be your own soul or somebody else's soul that you know needs Jesus. If you want them to win in life, maybe you're the messenger to take that message. Let's pray.